Hey, deserving listeners, it's time for part three in which I react to the herd Depp trial and the forensic psychologist is now testifying. My name is Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Let's watch. Dr. Curry, you're not board certified, correct? No, I'm not. Not in clinical psychology or in forensic psychology, correct? Okay, so this is cross-examination of Dr. Curry and they're leading with a question I believe to be designed to discredit Dr. Curry's credentials and thus her findings as well. And the question is, you're not board certified. All right, so what does board certified mean? Complicated, but essentially it's a voluntary rigmarole that we go through as clinicians to gain an extra credential. You can have a board certified forensic psychologist who is terrible, and you can have a non-board certified forensic psychologist that is the best in the world. So now to be board certified, does that mean you're, there's a greater likelihood of you being more competent? Yeah, probably. I don't know. I'd have to see the research on that, but that's what they're, they're leading with right now. No, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. But you're not board certified? No. Okay. And you also have only been practicing approximately eight years, is that correct? That's not correct. How many years? I've been licensed for 10 years, okay. and I've been practicing for about 15 years. Okay, so the another question to discredit her career and competency is that she's only been practicing for eight years. And then she corrects, no, I've been practicing for 10 or practicing for 15, and I've been a licensed psychologist for, for 10. So I'm guessing that she is counting her practice while she was in graduate school, getting her doctorate. I don't know that. She could have had a master's degree uh, previous to the doctorate that gave her the ability, because that's what I did. I, I had a master's degree originally and was practicing. Then I went back to get another master's and a doctorate. So they're, they're trying to discredit her by, by saying that. And even if it was eight years, that doesn't mean anything uh, to me. There are plenty of people that literally just graduated that are extremely competent. Okay, and that includes what you went through with your different trials in Hawaii and everything else that you testified to, correct? Yes. Okay. Now, you went to Mr. Depp's home for dinner and drinks before you were hired as an expert in this case, correct? That's not quite what, right. I was interviewed at... So, this is a weird... I mean, I... I'm not a legal expert, but again, I think trying to demonstrate that she is biased to Johnny Depp, if, if for forensic psychologists, uh, there's an important ethical code around trying not to do things that will compromise your objectivity. So for example, if you are conducting a forensic evaluation of someone, you can't do that with someone that you're treating. You know, it, it, like if one of my, if I was if I had a client and they came to me and asked me to conduct a forensic evaluation for them, that would be unethical because even though I might believe that I can be objective about conducting an evaluation and, and writing a report, the field understands that I might be biased, especially if it's in a court proceeding or there's some important legal matter at, at hand. And so I would have to refer the client to someone else that's not treating that kind of thing. So. I think that the cross-examination uh, lawyer is trying to demonstrate that she was biased for Johnny Depp and thus would be biased against Amber Heard with this questioning. Well, I don't know. As I say that out loud, at first I'm like, I don't know this question. But as I say that out loud, if 
she did have a friendship with Johnny Depp, then that would potentially disqualify her, or at the very least make her testimony suspect to the jury. But if it's just going over to Johnny Depp's house, I don't know what that means exactly. And it could have happened prior to being hired as a forensic psychologist, right? But I don't know. If you are a forensic psychologist, which I'm guessing some of you are, have you ever done that sort of thing? Have you ever, or what would you think if you heard of a colleague that had had dinner with uh, one of the parties involved in one of these legal matters? Mr. Depp's home by his legal team, dinner was served. You, in attendance with Mr. Depp was Adam Waldman, correct? Yes. Ben Chu, correct? Yes. Camille Vasquez? Yes. Okay. And the dinner lasted approximately three to four hours, correct? Yes. Now, it's not uncommon for the forensic psychologist to meet with the lawyers to discuss the landscape a little bit. So there's that. But this does get back to what I was saying a, lo a long time ago in reaction to this, that the lawyers and the forensic psychologists can sometimes be in cahoots, whether it's explicit or not. So having dinner provides an opportunity to determine, you know, I'm not saying anything about her. She's extremely professional and competent, but uh, you could have a scenario where a forensic psychologist socializes with one of the parties and um, especially the hiring party and has long conversations about what findings might help, right? Like you could imagine the lawyers would maybe even subtly say, you know, this is our case, and we're hoping that someone will be able to find that Amber Heard has a personality disorder and that she doesn't have PTSD. That would really help our case. You can imagine a lawyer saying something like that. I mean, at least I can. Now, whether or not the forensic psychologist in that hypothetical scenario would would consider that directions on how to proceed with the forensic evaluation, I can't tell. But that's, I think, maybe what the cross-examination is trying to suggest and it included the interview. drinks correct yes dinner and i believe drinks were served okay and this was before you were hired as an expert correct yes this was an interview so that they could make an informed decision as to whether or not to retain me and don't you think that's a little odd that you're getting interviewed by mr depp to decide whether you're going to testify adversely against amber heard i was interviewed by the legal team Right. So they're trying to make a point that you would be biased and that you're not following because usually what would happen is you would be meeting in the middle of the day in an office. You wouldn't be meeting over dinner at Johnny Depp's house. So but it doesn't uh, implicate the psychologist as doing something unethical by any in my opinion. You'd seen a number of his TV and movie roles and you believed he was a good actor, correct? Not correct. I did not know Johnny Depp. I well, had seen several of his movies. Now this, I believe, is silly. So if I were on the jury, I would be looking sideways at the lawyer at this point. Like, most Americans know Johnny Depp and have enjoyed at least one of his movies. Yes. What's your point? That doesn't implicate the psychologist as being biased. Well, I don't know. As I say it out loud, maybe it would help for the jury to hear that. Maybe it would influence the jury to be like, oh, yeah, she probably had a crush on him. In fact, she she might have. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how old she is, but 
when he was on 21 Jump Street, there weren't a lot of my girlfriends who didn't have a crush on him. So, <laughs> and then Richard Grieco came on the scene. Anyway, so maybe this is a genius move by the lawyer. I don't know. You knew who he was? Yes. Right. And you believed he was a good actor? Yes. Correct? Okay. And then you provided an expert designation in this case before ever seeing Amber or having an opportunity to review any documents or records. Isn't that correct? I did not provide an expert. Okay, I think what the lawyer is saying is that uh, Dr. Curry had diagnosed Amber Heard without evaluating her and looking at any records. And of course, and is accusing her of that. And Dr. Curry is like, uh, what? <laughs> Yeah, no, I did not diagnose Amber Heard prior to reviewing all of the clinical material. Uh, but maybe there's a surprise revelation here. Let's hear. This was plaintiff's designation, identification of expert witnesses in this case. And this is dated February 2021. That's a, a year after you went to dinner at Mr. Depp's house, correct? Yes. Okay. And it attributes, if you go to page 13... It says you have three opinions. The first of those is that Amber Heard, quote, exhibits patterns of behavior that are consistent with co-occurring cluster B personality disorder traits, especially borderline personality disorder. Did I get that right? Interesting. Uh, I don't know exactly what this means. I could see a scenario where Dr. Curry will say, well, yes, but... What I was saying in context was that I was seeing signs of that, but I was by no means diagnosing her because I hadn't assessed her yet. But people were giving me some data and I was throwing that out as an hypothesis. I wasn't diagnosing her and I would never go on record and diagnose someone because I hadn't assessed her yet. So I'm guessing that's what's happening. But this does raise some questions because if prior to even assessing her, Dr. Curry had already made some conclusions, then that would demonstrate potential bias heading into the evaluation. I'm reading that here. That is not my opinion. Okay. Well, but it's, it's a, a current opinion, but this was not an opinion of mine then. I didn't have any opinions at that time. It says Dr. Curry will testify, correct? That's what it says, yes. Okay. And this is a signed pleading, correct? On behalf of Mr. Depp. I, I'm not sure I understand what that means. What? You don't understand what a signed pleading is? No. Okay. Do you understand that Mr. Depp's counsel prepared this and served it on Ms. Hurd's counsel? I, I'm not an attorney. I don't understand necessarily. Okay. So it sounds like what the lawyer is saying is that Johnny Depp's lawyers submitted a legal document to Amber Heard saying that Johnny Depp's going to take action against her. And in the description was this statement that Dr. Curry says that you're borderline. You know, lawyers will do stuff like this sometimes, and they've done it with me. They'll, they will be talking with me, and early in my career, I would just naively answer their questions and then learned that unless I have a relationship with that lawyer and, and can trust them and know the landscape, I, I know that anything I say to a lawyer, they might actually repeat as a way to bolster their case, and they don't care about ruining their relationship with me. So 
who knows what happened? I, I don't know, but I could see a scenario where the lawyer was like, uh, "Well, this will get him. You know, this this will scare the Amber Heard legal team a, a lot if I if I put in this thing when Dr. Curry might have never made that statement or had said it as an hypothesis. Like, well, you're kind of describing borderline, maybe. I don't know, something like that. All of these procedures. Okay. Are you aware that Mr. Depp is on an audio recording years earlier taunting Amber Heard that she has a borderline personality disorder? I was made aware of that in this case, yes. Now, I don't know what that has to do with anything. I mean, one, if you do have borderline, then often it can be apparent to your partners. So the fact that Johnny Depp, so I think the lawyer's trying to point out that Johnny Depp was wrong in the diagnosis because if you know amber heard has borderline which there seems to be some evidence for I, I don't know i haven't evaluated her but the forensic psychologist dr curry has and determined that that if she actually does suffer from borderline and significant borderline which it sounds like it might be then johnny depp might bump against that for years and go what's going on and google it or talk with someone and be like oh that actually sounds like her in a fight, you might bring that up and say, you're borderline, that's not a good idea to do, but you know, what are you gonna do? And then later on, Johnny Depp is describing, or even the lawyers are describing it to Dr. Curry. Dr. Curry says, well, could be borderline. They take that, they use it as a weapon against the Amber Heard team, which would really bother me if I was Dr. Curry. Then Dr. Curry actually conducts the evaluation and confirms that, yeah, it, it is borderline. So I, I don't know what, this lawyer is trying to get at, but maybe it's a genius move. Let's see. So you heard, did, actually, that one of the audience not necessarily taunting, but I do recall hearing that Mr. Depp had used that phrase. So it's a coincidence that you now think she has those attributes after the attorneys listed it. <laughs> Look at Dr. Curry's face. She's like, really? <laughs> this is your case that because Johnny Depp years ago had perhaps accurately identified his close partner as having borderline and uh, you have some false statement from a lawyer claiming that I had diagnosed her when of course I had not, or at least you weren't there so you can't confirm that I did or I didn't. That demonstrates that my entire evaluation <laughs> is false. And um, now the I don't think the jury knows this, but again, it, without that 3-6 code type. Now, the 3-6 code type doesn't mean that she, that she has borderline it by any means, but, but it's a strong piece of evidence that Dr. Curry had data, strong data to go off of in terms of personality. Coincidence that you now think she has those attributes after the attorneys listed it in February 2021 before you'd looked at anything and Mr. Depp had made that accusation to Ms. Heard years earlier. My opinions aren't based uh, it's on coincidence. It's objection. Okay. I'm sorry, Dr. Uh, sure. Yes. Yeah, I'm not a lawyer, but yeah, that's a, a really dumb question. And uh, it, I guess dumb questions you can object to. <laughs> Again, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm like, wow, that's a really dumb question. So I guess the lawyer agreed, and I guess the judge does too. Compound, I'll sustain the objection. All right. It's a coincidence then that you came up with symptoms of borderline. Well, so she's re-asking the dumb question. <laughs> I can see why people are entertained by this. You see a couple people even smirking in the front row of the audience. Do you call them the audience? What do you call that? 
personality disorder years later after Mr. Depp has been taunting Ms. Heard in an audio tape. I can't speak to whether or not there's a coincidence, but I can tell you is my opinions are based on the results of my evaluation. And it's a coincidence that Mr. Depp's counsel attributed that to you, that said that to you in February 2021 before you'd looked at anything, correct? I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I get the direction that the attorney is going in. But I'd ha I, you know, if I were a jury member, I'd be like, um, what? Um, now, I wish that Dr. Curry would be, and maybe there will be another uh, line of questioning that Dr. Curry could could comment on what exactly happened that resulted in a lawyer claiming that she had diagnosed Amber with borderline. I, I, I hope we get to hear that story because I'm guessing there's some detail there. you agree that a disproportionate number of women are tagged with a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder? No, that's not quite right. So that one actually has some merit. Uh, it, it doesn't invalidate Dr. Curry's findings, but it is true that People, and I was saying this earlier, that when, in my experience, and I think research supports this, that when a woman presents with narcissism, they will be labeled as borderline. And when a man presents with borderline, they often will be mistaken as narcissistic because uh, just our culture and our associations with gender and the way that these disorders tend to express themselves given gender socialization trends. So it is true anecdotally anyway, and I believe research demonstrates this, that many women are mistaken for having borderline when they have actually something else. Sometimes they have dependent personality disorder, sometimes they have paranoid personality disorder, sometimes they have histrionic, sometimes they have psychopathy or antisocial, and they'll be mistaken to have borderline because there's just this strong association in the clinical world with women who have personality issues and borderline or women with a lot of relationship problems and volatility and the creation of a lot of countertransference in the clinician and borderline instead of understanding that there are a lot of possible factors in that. There are also cases where a woman is being abused and is having legit and understandable mood swings because of the abuse that she's going through or she suffers from PTSD or something along those lines and the woman will be seen as hysterical. It's like, oh, there's another woman with all her emotions again. She must be borderline. Instead of regarding her expressions as a, a human expression of what she's going through, right? What's the rate of that? I don't know. 75%? The way you phrased it is not quite right. Tell me, tell me what's right. Okay, so there are more women who have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder than men. It's more prevalent in women. She said bipolar, <laughs> which I think is one of the reasons why people mistake bipolar with borderline because somehow the words sound similar. Phrase it is not quite right. Tell me, tell me what's right. Okay, so there are more women who have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder than men. It's more prevalent in women. And trauma can cause borderline personality disorders, can't it? No. Never? Right now, we know that there are people who have borderline personality disorder who have sustained childhood trauma. 
There are also people who have borderline personality disorder who have had no childhood trauma. Yeah, this is a touchy subject for me. The research is usually done by asking people to recall what happened to them when they were young, right? Either claim that borderline is caused by trauma, early childhood trauma or not, is hard to know. And we might not ever know. And that's the nature of psychology and diagnosing and especially cause of psychopathology that it's we follow models. And the model that I follow is a is a schema-based, psychodynamic-based model that stands on the foundation that all personality disorders are a mixture of both genetics and experience, but you cannot have a personality disorder without significant experiences as a child that create the necessity for the defensive structure that we call a personality disorder. Whether that's considered trauma by people, meaning physical beatings or sexual abuse or being neglected for days at a time, those are easily identified as abuse and neglect, right? Mistreatment. In some jurisdictions, it's illegal to treat children that way. There are experiences as a child, like, for example, a, a lot of borderline clients that I worked with had parents who were going through a divorce when they were growing up. While the child was experiencing the parents, you know, this is all through investigation and questions and trying to triangulate. Because the other thing is a lot of people with borderline, they don't remember, most people don't remember pre-4 and, and our personality disorders are, in, my, in the model that I follow, it, 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 they are formed primarily before the age of five. So so, so your, your parents are going through divorce, they're fighting a lot and their, uh, their attunement to you is erratic and uh, then there's a divorce and one of the parents moves out, might even move out of state. The relationship between the child and that parent that moved away has been massively ruptured and that attachment has been massively ruptured and the child ends up uh, incurring a lot of hurt and pain that they have to figure out how to deal with. They have some, they've made some conclusions based on this because they don't know how the world works. And they're like, oh, when someone loves you, they might completely abandon you. And so there are uh, situations like that, but we wouldn't call that abuse. Right? Some people might call it abuse, but it's not sort of a classic example of abuse because there wasn't hitting or sexual abuse or this sort of thing. The needs of the child were provided. But those experiences are termed in my language system and other people in, of my ilk as relational traumas. You wouldn't call it trauma in the sense of uh, terror, like at war or being abused or being mugged or in a car accident, but it is a more general, if, if we broaden the term of trauma, meaning something that happens to you that has a damaging effect on you that, that, and the damage lasts, then it does fit that criterion, right? So yeah, that's just me <laughs> ranting about that. But yeah, what she's saying is the simplest way of saying it, that in terms of one definition of trauma, some research shows that most people with borderline will report early childhood trauma and some don't. And so I think when people read that research, unless you have experience working with people with borderline, you'll often have this conclusion like, well, some people are just born borderline or maybe every every person with borderline is born borderline and the abuse makes it worse or something like that. And I've never seen that. I've never seen someone who had especially moderate to severe borderline that 
didn't go through something that explained, at least to me in my model, why they developed that defensive structure. Hey, deserving listeners. Today's episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. When you sign up, use the code Seattle16. HelloFresh sends you easy-to-make meal kits delivered right to your door every week. Ingredients travel from farm to your doorstep in under a week, so they're always fresh, all without having to leave your house, which appeals to me because I hate running errands. Puts me in a bad mood, to be honest. HelloFresh is super flexible. You can skip weeks when you need to. You can pick your favorites from 50 different weekly options. In our house, we love all the recipes, but some of them that are really great are the citrus beef tacos, their barbecue sloppy joes, and their pizzas. You know, me and my pizzas. So go to HelloFresh.com slash Seattle16, that's Seattle16, and use the code Seattle16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash Seattle16 and use the code Seattle16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. And remember that HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And then there is also possibly an environmental component triggering those genetic markers. Do you know the percentage of women who are victims of IPV, intimate partner violence or domestic abuse, who are diagnosed with borderline personality disorders? I can't tell you the percentage off of the top of my head, but I do know that there is a larger Women with borderline personality disorder tend to have a higher prevalence of being involved in intimate partner violence relationships, being the receiver of violence, and being the perpetuators of violence. Now, you've never been asked to testify or serve as an expert with respect to whether someone has a bipolar disorder. Is that correct? A bipolar disorder? Yes. That's not correct. Okay. So, bipolar, why was that brought up? And maybe because it's Amber Heard's team making the argument that she has bipolar and not borderline. I wonder if that's true. But yeah, a forensic psychologist who hasn't evaluated bipolar, uh, that's absurd. <laughs> so uh, I was like, really? And Dr. Curry's like, no, that's not correct. Now, there might not be a a forensic evaluation on record in which a bipolar diagnosis was included 
you know, maybe that in her eight years, I don't know how long she's been a forensic psychologist, but that might be true. But surely her training involved evaluation and understanding of bipolar. When this designation was served in February of 2021, you had not rendered an opinion that, quote, Ms. Hurd exhibits patterns of behavior that are consistent with co-occurring cluster B personality disorder traits, especially borderline personality disorder, correct? I'm sorry, I, I missed the first part. What was that? When this designation was served that you had... Okay, so apparently Dr. Curry had under oath testified that she had never prior to that testimony conducted an evaluation involving bipolar. I, I'm just going to take a guess and say at that at that time, uh, she'd never been a part, like I was saying earlier, of an evaluation that resulted in that. It's not that she hadn't assessed for that, but she had never been in a case where bipolar was the finding. I had not rendered that opinion. Okay. The second opinion that's listed in the February 2021 is that Ms. Heard repeatedly and characterologically perpetuated severe physical and psychological intimate partner violence, IPV, toward Mr. Depp over the course of their relationship. End of quote. Did I read that correctly? Uh, it says perpetrated, but other than that, yes. Okay. And so it, is it correct that they, that this pleading says in February 2021 that you are going to testify to that? This document, it, yes. yes. Okay. So I don't know. I'm guessing that what is being, I'm only like 50% sure of this, that they're referring to a document that was written by an attorney that falsely claimed that Dr. Curry would do something or had said something as a way of trying to win, I don't know, intimidation points or maybe to push for a settlement or something. You know, you can imagine the lawyer saying like, look, we have an expert that's really going to blast you psychologically, so you better settle with us because you don't want to mess with us because we, we've got all the team. And the attorney didn't understand that that's not okay. <laughs> like, one, Dr. Curry could never go on record and diagnose someone that she's never assessed. And two, the other legal team probably understands that and will just look at that and laugh. I have to, I have to ask that again because I yes. stumbled. I can't Thank do you. characterologically. That one's just a okay. tough one for me. Okay. You have never been asked to testify as to whether anyone has behavioral or characterological conduct that suggests they may have been an IPV perpetrator, correct? No, I've never been asked to testify for that. Okay. Yeah, that's not a common thing, at least anecdotally for me, that you would be asked to comment on because forensic psychologists comment on diagnosis and there's no diagnosis in the DSM that says you're an abuser. There are diagnoses that might be associated with abuse, but definitely not a slam dunk in terms of that conclusion. So yeah, it's not usually a question that forensic psychologists are asked or uh, investigating because that's a matter of you would have to be there as a forensic psychologist. That's more for detectives to investigate whether or not a, a crime has occurred. Okay. And that was not your opinion in February 2021, correct? No. And in fact, you do not hold that opinion now, and you were not even asked to provide such an analysis or opinion. Isn't that correct? No. Or that is correct. That's yes. correct. Okay. And you have never held that opinion, correct? No, that is correct, yes. Okay. In your third opinion, if we can go to page 14. 
So that actually wasn't a bad line of questioning. Essentially, what they're trying to get at is, okay, fine, you did all this evaluation, but in the initial uh, questioning from Johnny Depp's attorney, you were making all these implications that Amber Heard was an abusive person because you were talking about how borderline histrionic can result in that sometimes. But w what you didn't determine was that Amber Heard actually abused Johnny Depp. You did diagnose her, but you did not actually determine whether or not, because that's the th that's the question. I, at least I think at hand, is whether or not Amber Heard was abusive to him. Right. Yes, that's what this says. Okay. And that was not your opinion in February 2021, was it? No, as I said, I had not formed any opinions at that time. I had just been retained. Okay. And in fact, you have never arrived at this opinion as an expert witness in this case, correct? In terms of no, the opinions that I've rendered are provided in my report and, you and have, they're what I'm testifying to today. And you have never arrived at this opinion as an expert witness in this case, correct? What is she talking about? <laughs> have you not been paying it? I mean, I'm lost, but she's repeating the You've never cut. Oh, I, I maybe what she's getting at is you've never come to the conclusion that Amber Heard was abusive. Like, I think the lawyer needs to, you know, have that ending to the sentence. To, because I think what Dr. Curry is like, what are you talking about? I just told you my opinion. <laughs> just I gave my opinion, and I came to that opinion. So what's what's going on? I, uh, I'll sustain. You have never arrived at the opinion that Ms. Heard exhibits patterns of behavior that suggest her allegations of abuse against Mr. Depp are false. Correct? That's correct. And in fact, you've said that has never been my opinion, correct? What I'm saying is that this, the opinions in here, I, these are not my opinions. My opinions are provided in my report. Yeah, it's one of those things that as a forensic psychologist, when particularly when you're being cross-examined, that you're trained and you know to keep coming back to it. It's all in my report. <laughs> You know, I don't know what you're wanting me to say here, but my report speaks for itself. And I, if, if you want to talk about my report, we can do so. But I, I don't know, you know, what you're getting at. But the lawyer is trying to get Dr. Curry to say it's not your opinion that Amber Heard was abusive to Johnny Depp. Is that true or not? And Dr. Curry, since Dr. Curry is Johnny Depp's legal team forensic psychologist, she is not really answering the question because she. I think knows that to answer that question in a in a more direct way would somehow help the other side, you know, to, to say something like it's correct. It's never been my opinion that Amber Heard was abusive to Johnny Depp. That's that's never been my opinion. But she keeps saying it's all in my report. That you have never arrived at an opinion that quote Ms. Heard exhibits patterns of behavior that suggest allegations of abuse against Mr. Depp are false. End of quote. And what was your answer? Well, there is an objection. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll read it for you if you're having difficulty. Okay, no, no, Your no. answer was under oath, correct. That is not my opinion. That has never been my opinion. Isn't that what correct. you said under yes. oath on March 21st? And then I wrote, do you, then I'm gonna ask you, do you know who wrote this portion of the designation suggesting that these were your opinions in February of 2021? And what was your answer? I said, no. Yeah, I mean, if you've ever spent time in a courtroom 
especially during cross, there can often be a lot of messiness. It's not like it is in the movies where it's real snappy and uh, and there's lots of action that's packed into a little uh, a short span of time. The lawyer was had a like seemingly had a bullet point or even a progression of questions that she had worked out earlier to really drive it home that the forensic psychologist had not determined at any time that Amber Heard was abusive to Johnny Depp. But it was a really laborious way of getting there. (laughs) But maybe that's important. You know, if you're a jury, you need to have that kind of hammered into your head. As of the time of this initial expert designation, you had not reviewed any materials, reached any opinions, correct? I believe I had just started to review materials. Um, I, I believe that I indicated that in my deposition. I had not yet rendered any opinions. I uh, hadn't completed my review, and I hadn't conducted an evaluation. Okay. And, in fact, you've never testified as an expert on IPV, intimate partner violence. Isn't that correct? I believe that is correct, but I may not be remembering all of my cases. Yeah, it wouldn't be something necessarily that you would remember because that's not what you're asked to evaluate. You're asked to diagnose. And you could see her thinking because there's she's thinking well there's a chance that i was an expert witness in cases that involved ipv but i wouldn't necessarily remember that because that wasn't what i was evaluating that wasn't what my report involved and i think that's that line of questioning is designed to discredit her somehow you know does it Uh, i don't know uh if i don't know how long she's been a forensic psychologist because forensic psychologists often will also have training to conduct treatment. And so some forensic psychologists will do a mixture. And so even though she has been a licensed psychologist for 10 years, I believe, uh, it's possible that it's been a side gig or something, or it could have been literally 40 hours a week, I don't know. But the question is designed, I think, to tell a jury that she doesn't know what she's doing. The way she's answering the questions, I I wouldn't say that that demonstrates that, but maybe it does to the jury. Line 17. My question was, have you ever testified as an expert on IPV? And your answer under oath then at line 22 was what? Oh gosh, let me catch up. Line 22. No. And you've never testified as an expert on emotional distress damages associated with IPV, is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And you've never been asked to testify with respect to emotional damages associated with domestic violence or abuse, isn't that correct? Uh, Again, that... I'm just going to throw this out here. I don't know. But I wonder if there's some sort of sexist angle to this line of questioning that is trying to discredit her as a woman because the attorney thinks that it would work or believes in the line of questioning. Um, Or again, at the very least believes that the jury will see it that way. You know, if I tear down her, her experience level, sort of poke holes in it, the jury was already on the fence because, well, it's a woman. And, you know, I don't know. (laughs) It's a lot of speculation, but it's starting to raise the hairs on the back of my neck. I'm like, will you get off the the experience bit? <laughs> like, it's, uh, uh, she 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 has the credentials. Reluctant to say that's correct because, with 15 years of experiences, experience a lot of my cases have been complex, and that may have been a component. But I don't remember explicitly a case being just about that. 
Let's go Correct. to page 199, line 20. My question to you was, have you ever been asked to testify with respect to emotional damages associated with domestic violence or abuse? And your answer under oath at that time was? No. I've not, right? Sorry, that, I haven't found the said? page in time. And this is another reason why I don't do forensic psychology, because when I get triggered and, and I see injustice, not always, but I, I cannot control myself, <laughs> or I'll just kind of melt into my chair because I'm like, what's happening? So you have to have a very strong fortitude to do this kind of work because of, who knows, but there's a chance that Dr. Curry is like, am I being treated in a sexist manner right now? And you can't let that rattle you because if you, if you, if you let it rattle you, then the jury will see you lose control and thus will believe that you're not a credible witness. So you just have to, you just have to endure it and you have to keep a cool head and you have to stay on top of the questions and you just keep responding and you have to trust that, you know, this is a part of the process. Cross is going to cross and, and, you know, you just answer the questions and you get paid and you move on. For me, oh, the first time I, I was cross-examined, it was brutal. I had a fight or flight reaction. I had a mild panic attack, honestly. And it was terrifying just to be torn apart, you know, like just forced to justify my career. Yeah, it was awful. Now, you also have never been asked to testify on whether an individual is being truthful in saying that they are a survivor of IPV, is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And you have never qualified as an expert to speak to whether a person suffered from IPV, intimate partner violence, or was a victim or survivor of IPV, is that correct? That's outside the task of a psychologist. Yeah, that's what I've been saying from the beginning. It's like, uh, it's like the lawyer asking, you've never been a part of a case in which someone was trying to determine whether or not a car was clean or not. It's like, well, yeah, that's not what we do. <laughs> it's, it's, there's no diagnosis for car being cleaned or IPV ha happening or not. So what are you getting at? <laughs> you know, that's, that's police work. That's you know, detective work or a jury's job to determine. It's, that's not my job. I, I, don't, I don't make speculations as to what had happened or not happened. I, I evaluate people and I provide a report to determine whether an event occurred. We assess behavior, we, we assess mental status, we don't detect crimes. So you have not been asked to testify to that, correct? It's not something that occurs, so no, I have not. And they should be objecting. Uh, I, I, I don't know, again, I'm not a lawyer, but, or the judge should be stepping in. This, this whole line of questioning is clearly designed to discredit her but it's based on this premise that somehow this is what forensic psychologists do. If you asked any forensic psychologist this question, regardless of their, the breadth of their experience, they would always answer along these lines. Now, you could argue that the fact that she's, to her memory, never worked on a case that involved IPV, well, okay, that, that does perhaps sway the jury to thinking that she's not experienced with that subject. But again, that's not the question. The question is, is she experienced at evaluating people for personality disorders and you know, all the other things in the DSM? And the answer is yes, she is experienced and that's her job. You were not ultimately asked to provide any opinions on that, correct? No, I was not. Okay. Now, you did not disclose in any of the designations or your report 
that you had met with and had dinner and drinks with Mr. Depp, did you? I'm sorry, can you repeat that one more yes. time? That you did not me. disclose in any of the designations or in your report. Yeah, and I was getting at this earlier that uh, the lawyer is saying you didn't disclose in your report that you had met with Johnny Depp. To me, if I were doing a forensic evaluation, I would have included that actually because that is data that you were at least inadvertently exposed to that you should at least disclose. Uh, as a forensic psychologist, you, you should say in your report, by the way, I did two years ago meet with Johnny Depp and the attorneys to talk about whether or not they would hire me and they gave me a, some data, but at the time I wasn't taking notes and frankly, I don't really remember what they were saying because it was so long ago and they hired me two years later and or a year later and then I conducted the evaluation a year after that and by that point, I, had, I didn't remember what was occurring so I just started afresh. Like, you probably should mention that because it is a slight complicating factor and to not include that, it could indicate that you either don't know you're supposed to and I don't know the general practice on that. I'm just saying from my own experience and maybe the people I worked with and the supervisors I worked with thought along those lines. But, you know, usually in forensic psychology, you want to be extremely buttoned up about stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know. If you're a forensic psychologist, what would, what would you have done? I'm, I'm curious. You had dinner and drinks with Mr. Depp, correct? I did not disclose that I was interviewed by the legal team, no. I asked a different question. Right. So what she is sort of spinning it to mean is I, yeah, I did not disclose that the legal team interviewed me. But what the lawyer is getting at is you gathered information. Johnny Depp had told you some things or something along those lines. Now, there's no record of that. So, and perhaps Dr. Curry knows that. And so, unless the attorney can produce evidence that Johnny Depp had disclosed things, you know, because there was that other legal document that claimed that she had diagnosed Amber Heard. And so Dr. Curry, I think, knows, look, unless you can produce evidence that I gave information officially to the lawyer uh, that they used to say those things, then all we have is someone that said something and no evidence that I actually said that. They're referring to something I said, but there's no record of me actually saying those things, so let's move forward. Dr. Curry might in her head be thinking, this is all just speculative, that yes, I did actually indicate that possibility to the lawyer. I didn't think they were going to use it because that's, of course, not what um, I can't officially diagnose, like I was saying earlier, without actually evaluating Amber Heard. But yeah, I did say those things. And yes, I did gather information from Johnny Depp. And yes, we did have a conversation. And I did throw out the idea that maybe it is borderline, but there's no record of that. And frankly, it didn't affect my evaluation of Amber Heard, so I'll just answer the questions and hopefully this will just blow over. That's all speculation. There's also a possibility that Dr. Curry never had those conversations. And I will say that it doesn't invalidate her report to me. If I were on the jury and if I thought, well, maybe that happened, I wouldn't say like, well, that means we got to throw the whole thing out. But if you're trying to create some question marks there regarding the expert witness, then, you know, maybe this will be effective. 
but you've never been asked to meet with a client in his counsel before being retained as an expert, either before or after, have you? No. And you justified that it was okay in this case because it was a high-profile case. That's not quite right. Okay, so we're hearing from her, Dr. Curry, that she has never prior or any other time with a client had dinner and drinks with the party that was hiring her. And the lawyer is saying, well, you only did that because it's a high profile case. So trying to demonstrate, you know, on all the questions that she's biased, that she likes Johnny Depp, that she is trying to win favors from him, I guess, to uh, by going after Amber Heard. And, you know, I, I don't know how convincing it is. It's not convincing to me, it, it you know, because I'm curious as an observer, like, you know, because a lot does hinge on this testimony. It certainly doesn't, you know, mean that the case is over by any means, but it is a significant uh, component of the trial. And uh, for me, this whole thing is like, well, you know, maybe she crossed the line there a little bit, but it doesn't mean that the findings were false to me. Having said that, the findings might be false, and I'm curious as to what the Amber Heard team forensic psychologist will say. I, I assume that they hired one. Line three is my question. Would you agree it's a highly irregular to meet with the subject in a litigation? And your answer on that occasion was, I would not say it's highly irregular. I would say it's not something that I would typically do. However, I had not yet been retained on the case. This was a large, high-profile case, and I understood that I believed that it was appropriate for a person retaining me with such a high profile to meet me to be able to vet me, essentially with the attorneys present prior to retaining me on his case. I don't know what happened with Dr. Curry, but this is a reminder to all you clinicians out there, and I guess any professional out there that needs to follow an ethical code of some sort, that even if a client is quote unquote high profile, that you don't throw out your professionalism and your ethical codes out the window. That, uh, and I've been tempted by that myself. There are there have been times, like, nothing's coming to mind, but I do remember thinking like, oh, you're considering breaking the rules for that person, but for no one else, why are you doing that? You know, fame and money can be extremely seductive. For forensic psychology, you could, imagine thinking in this situation if i become known in this case my you know i could start charging maybe five times as much because i'll be so sought after maybe 10 times as much so if i play this right and i get and i manage to get hired then this could be the difference between a mediocre career and a grand career they're asking me to come to the house I'm sure there are other people vying for this position. Maybe I should go. You know, it's just dinner, you know, and I'll just, and oh, they're, they're serving drinks. Do I serve a drink? Do I, you know, I'm, this is all just a complete speculative, of course, but I've been there before and probably even made some mistakes along those lines before. And um, that's why we have our ethical codes. That's why we have consult, consultation and supervision and guidance around these sort of things. Is it the end of the world if something like that happens? No, but it can result in in some problems, in some harm to your career, harm to uh, those involved, and maybe even an open door for the attorney to walk through to discredit you. Do you recall that? Yes. That's what you said under oath, correct? Yes. And then I said, have you ever done that before? And you said, no. Correct? correct. And then I said, have you ever done it since? And you said, no. Correct? Correct. Okay. Now, would you agree that 
if you did not find something that would be in favor of Mr. Depp and negative to Ms. Hurd, that you wouldn't be an expert in this case. That Essentially, you into court if, you, if you're going to say that Ms. Hurd is right and Mr. Depp is wrong, correct? So as a forensic psychologist, my obligation is to the court, is to the fact finder. I present science regardless of what that science may be. Yeah, so in an earlier video, you heard me talk about this, and I can never know what's inside the mind of various different forensic psychologists, but it is a question that so often with forensic psychologists that are hired by the lawyers miraculously uh, find findings that are in support of your case. And this happens over and over and over again. This is all anecdotal. I haven't seen research on this. Maybe there is. But it is odd that the Amber Heard psychologist will find something that supports her case and the Johnny Depp psychologist will find something that supports his case. So what the attorney is implying is that you met with Johnny Depp well before you were hired and predetermined what you were gonna find. And then you went ahead later as a way of trying to appeal to be hired because it's a high profile case. And then later, once you evaluated her, you just shoehorned in that diagnosis because y'all had uh, conspired to find that. Yeah, that's a massive accusation that uh, has no basis. It, you know, it's a, you know, could be implied or one could wonder about that, but she did conduct the 12 hour evaluation. There, there are, data to back up her claims, again, particularly the MMPI. Now, it could have happened though, that, that could be what actually happened, but without any evidence, there's, there's really nothing to talk about. Now, when I take a case, my retainer agreement is explicit about that, and I D discuss Dr. that Pierre, with I'm the attorneys. You, I'm asking you a question. I'd like you to try to answer okay. my question. You understand that if you found favorably to Ms. Hurd and negatively to Mr. Depp, you wouldn't be here, right? You wouldn't be testifying. Objections. Yeah, uh, that's a good objection. She can't answer that question because all she would say is, I will do my job. I was hired or not, that's up to other people. I don't know why or why not someone would hire me. People hire me to do an evaluation, I do the evaluation and I walk away. This is all just a, a song and dance because the lawyer knows how Dr. Curry's gonna answer the questions and so it's just trying to throw doubt to the jury. You were, in fact, so excited about being involved in this case that you told your husband, even though this was a highly confidential matter, that you were going to be conducting the examination of Ms. Hurd, didn't you? That is not accurate. Interesting. So, well, I guess we'll see the evidence of this. Yeah, if there is evidence that Dr. Curry talked with her husband about a confidential matter, then yeah, that, that would be a concern. Would it invalidate the report? No, but it would be a concern. You not only told your husband, but you told Ms. Hurd that you told your husband, correct? Ms. Bredehoff, that is not accurate. What is accurate? You're incorrect. That is not correct. You, is your testimony today under oath that you did not tell your husband that you were going to be conducting the examination of Amber? That is my testimony. Okay. And I can see it going either way. Um, I could imagine some forensic psychologists saying it to their partner, 
I am evaluating a really famous person. Who is it? Well, it's it's Amber Heard. And there's an agreement that the partner won't reveal that or something along those lines. And I could see a lot of forensic psychologists being super buttoned up about that and saying, I have a really high profile case today. I can't tell you who it is. And don't try to guess because, you know, I'd have to kill you if I told you. No, just joking. But it's a big deal today. So uh, the attorney seems to have evidence of that. Again, does it invalidate the report? No, but it could cast doubt on her professionalism, which could cast doubt on a report to the jury. And could open her up to losing her license, potentially, or at least having a sanction on her license. The, that would be a second action that someone would take up, maybe Amber Heard herself, if it were true that she broke confidentiality. She would make a report to the state, and then you'd go through that whole system, and then if it was found to be true that she did break confidentiality, then she might be sanctioned regarding her license, meaning that you go on probation. Usually for uh, something like that, they usually wouldn't take your license away. They might require you to go back to continuing education on ethics or be supervised for a year to make sure you don't do that again. You could also be sued by Amber Heard for uh, damages if Amber Heard believed that she was harmed somehow by that confidential breakage. So, and I'm not a legal expert, so I don't know, but I don't believe it has anything necessarily to do with what's happening here. But like I said, it could cast doubt on her credibility to the jury. All right. Well, that does it for that episode. Everyone out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it. You really, really do. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.